Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Backblaze Online Backup, a simple way to backup all your movies, photos, music, videos, and all the data on your Mac or PC for just $5 a month. It's simple, and you can access all your data online from wherever you are. Start your 15-day trial absolutely free by going to backblaze.com slash cpc. That's B-A-C-K-B-L-A-Z-E dot com slash c-p-c. Thank you very much. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, Eric Garneau here, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. We're back into the archives again for a bit to spotlight the work of a certain performer who will be celebrating in a giant show in about a month. I won't say any more than that right now because I don't want to ruin the surprise announcement, but like when we did this with Andrew Bentley a few months ago, you might be able to figure out which person I'm talking about. Uh, But in this episode, you're about to hear the second part of our first ever Fan Fiction February episode in 2013. Uh, This is wrought with incredible pieces, like the debut appearances of Kyle Talley and Mary Beth Smith, a nerdalogue slash fic from Chris Geiger, and great uh, stories from Jeremy Connie and Shelby Mongan as well. Actually, maybe there are a couple people I should highlight in this episode. What am I talking about? I don't know. Hang out till the end of the year. You'll see. Also... Stay tuned to the pod on our website and Facebook page for updates on our next live show. And definitely keep Saturday, October 20th open. Uh, and we will see you soon.
Thank you, Dwight Hassler. All right, before we kick out the second half of stories, um, Nerdalog's own Chris Geiger has... What, what were the words you desc- used to describe most fan fiction earlier? Uh, the vapid vomit of the... Like, the vapid vomit into the nerdy zeitgeist. Uh, more know, about the self, uh, self-indulgent, terrible... Yeah, self-indulgent, reprehensible nonsense. Chris Geiger, everybody! <laughs> Incredible intro. <laughs> Incredible. Hang on, hang on a second. I got to get off my Facebook here. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so, guys, I feel like there's fan fiction for everything, uh, but I don't feel like there's any fan fiction for nerdologs. So I wanted to, as a nerdologger and as a fan of us, uh, <laughs> take care of that. So if I could get uh, Claire, Andrew, Steve, Kevin, and Eric up on stage, please. Now I, I shared I shared this with them, but I don't think they read it. So no, uh, I read it. No, 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 no. I don't want to. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what. <laughs> All right, so so I'll I'll read the I'll read the narration and you guys just read the parts with your name, okay? Okay. All right. <laughs> Hang on, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be real fun. Uh, okay. It was a dark and spooky night at the public house theater after one of the awesome Your Story shows where there were like a million people there and everyone was having a great time. The Nerdalogs cast members there were hanging out and shit, having a great time after the show. Well, the theater is a real scary place at night. And Claire said... Gosh, it's so spooky. And then Andrew said... It's a theater. Theaters are spooky at night. And then Steve... And then Steve... Quiet, new guy. It's like five months now. Come on. Claire's right. It is spooky in here. I'm not new anymore. I've been in the Nerdlog since October. (laughs) And just then, a really scary ghost came out and was like, Oh, fuck, I'm scary. (laughs) (laughs) And the Nerdlog started holding each other. I'm so so, so scared. Me too. Me also. Stop acting like children. It's not a real ghost. And then then Claire took the mask off the ghost and it was Eric Garneau. Oh, man, I've been discovered. But but the rest of the Nerdalogs were still holding each other, and then they realized... I have a beer boner. Me too. Me also. And then they, they started really holding each other, going like... And then Eric came over, and like he was like... Guys, I've always wanted to get my bone on with you. And, and Claire said... Eric, you have a huge dick. I didn't write that. I didn't write that. I didn't write that. I made it. I didn't write that. And then they all started going, and really just, oh, yeah, just touch me. My body is ready. Fuck. Fuck, they were loving it at this point, and then Chris Geiger showed up. Yeah, and everyone was like, fuck, yeah, that guy is the best. And, and he had a bunch of fucking beer, and it was a great time. And they all started rubbing their dicks together, and... My dick is so hard, and Chris Geiger is fucking awesome. <laughs> Where am I in all this? 
Yes. And then, and then they were like, Ugh! and fucking, Ugh! and then the guys who made Cards Against Humanity, they showed up and they were like, you guys need to make the next expansion. And everyone made like a million dollars. And then they started rubbing the money on their naked bodies like, oh, oh, oh. All right, all right, all right. Well, um, I'm spent. Well, not me. I'm, oh, oh. Chris. You know, I kind of liked it. Yeah, me too. Thanks, guys. I think the Z. Ask how many Z's oh, there were. I don't know. I don't know if we can even go on now, but Jeremy Connie, you got a shot. I, I was uh, very scared to go on after Mike told his, did his fan fiction, because it was so damn good. And then I was even more scared to go on after Chris came up and did his fan fiction. Because, <laughs> because I chose to do a serious topic. Uh, a lot of tonight, uh, other than Chris Cotwell, uh, has been talking about uh, the joy of fantasy and escaping into a fantasy realm. Uh, while I agree that it is a pillar of the psyche, and uh, I totally agree with how awesome it is, I wanted to talk today about something that is on the flip side of that. I want to talk about how our lives, each and every one of our lives, should be treated like a story and that you get to be the happiest person that you can be by treating your life like a story. Every story has its ups and downs, you know, beginning, end, middle, and exposition, rising action, and the conclusion. Now, I treat everybody's high school, up until high school, as your exposition. And I treat exposition like you spend four sentences on it and you blather it out as fast as you can because it's just necessary. No one, it's just, you just have to say it in order to get onto the good stuff, which is the rising action. And it's named rising action for a reason because you do stuff and it gets better as you go. There's going to be ups and downs during it, but you do stuff. Now, for everybody that's counting, we are all in rising action right now. This is the time to do stuff. Now, what do you do? I say you do what you want to get what you want. And that's really broad because we all have different lives. We all have different wants. And maybe we don't even know what we really want out of life right now. And that's okay. For those of us who do know what we want, we're doing things to get that. We're taking risks. Even if we fall flat on our faces, we're doing things to get what we want. And if you don't know what you want, uh, me included, uh, here's my advice for you. Pick something. Pick something you think you know what you want, what you think you want. Do it. Take risks and either have them succeed or fail and learn along the way whether or not that is what you want to do. 
because I treat everything in between high school and growing old and going out to a cabin to live for the rest of your life as rising action. That's your conclusion. That's when you settle and you're done doing stuff. Everything else should be working towards what you want to do, what's going to make you happy. Uh, there are great stories in life. There are good and, and bad times in life. I would say I, one of the greatest stories that I've ever heard of someone's life is actually sitting in this room right now uh, and owns this theater. It was renting this theater. It was making this theater happen. Byron uh, came from Tennessee to Chicago to do comedy and eventually is running his own theater, pursuing his dream, doing what he wants to do, which is an amazing story. This is what I want everybody to have for their lives. And if you think that you have a boring life right now, or that it's shitty, keep in mind that every good story has good downtimes. I am just personally coming out of a downtime in my story right now. I've spent the better part of a year giving away a part of myself and what I want out of life, being lost and confused. And on the better side of that, coming out of it, I actually have a much clearer vision of what I want for myself. So even those downtimes serve your story. They help you teach yourself and learn what you want out of life. I know that I want to go to Big Sur in California and do travel photography. I want to travel to Scotland, which I'm hopefully going to within this year, and go take photography of the most beautiful landscape that I've seen in photos. And I know that, I know that I have to do that because of the year that I effectively lost to my own goals and career. So, in this time, right now, before you settle in a cabin and become do nothing for the rest of your lives, I want you to find what you want to do with your life. Take risks. Get out of your comfort zone. Rise or fall. Get back up again. And I want you to do your rising action. Thank you, guys. a lot of what I've been thinking about lately and I mean you know part of growing up is that you have to do things that you don't want to do that's what that's half of being an adult but I think the other half and people will tell you this is false I say fuck them if you don't do at least one thing that you want to do that's really sad to me like Jeremy is absolutely right always make time to do what you want because that is the number one most important thing I think you can do thank you Jeremy <laughs> Uh, next up, we have someone who's setting with us at the first Nerds Against Humanity show. It was awesome. Mary Beth Smith. Yeah. Um, it's actually extraordinarily appropriate, I think, uh, that I follow Jeremy because I feel like I'm kind of sharing uh, the, a story about the point in my life when I transitioned from my exposition into my rising action. Uh, after I walked across the stage at my graduation from the very conservative, very southern Furman University, 
After shaking hands with the dean and receiving my diploma, after he told me he loved my red hair in an attempt to personalize what he said to each student as they walked across the stage. <laughs> True story. Uh, about three of my friends told me that he told them that he liked their shoes, just so that he had something very personal to say. <clears throat> and after bidding my family adieu until the next morning, I was jumping around in the football stadium, saying ridiculous things in ridiculous voices that had the people around me laughing. I wasn't trying to be the comedic relief, but in my own state of not being able to fully comprehend and take in what had just occurred, I went into this very inadvertent, make everyone else feel more comfortable because they don't know what to do either mode. Uh, it continued into going back to my apartment for a toast and some snacks with my roommates and their families. At that point, uh, at that point the parents were joining in on the laughter, uh, and it was still very inadvertent. It was just totally, I went into autopilot, and my autopilot at the time was to goof around and make everyone laugh, because everyone had more emotion than they knew what to do with. Uh, after a sad hiatus of saying some last goodbyes and experiencing my last night at Furman, the mood returned the next afternoon when I was moving out. Uh, during the entirety of my packing and uh, packing my room and the car, I wore a costume piece that I had purchased for a uh, murder mystery party that I did with my fellow improv team members uh, because we had done one paying gig for a church youth group. <laughs> And we made $125, and we spent it on a murder mystery package, <laughs> costumes for every member of the team, and a lot of booze. Uh, my personal costume was that of a hall monitor, and for some reason, I figured that could include a hard hat. <laughs> So for the entire rest of the day, uh, conclusively, um, on a day where most of the people that I was seeing, I would never see them again in my life, I wore a hard hat. Uh, <laughs> at some point that afternoon, as I was coming in and out of my room, doing lots of bits about, you know, packing and like, hup, hup, and walking around with a hammer as though that was helpful. Um, <laughs> one of my uh, favorite comedic partners and biggest fans, Patty Pratt, my roommate Jackie's mother, uh, stopped me in the hallway of our apartment and uh, apologized because what she was about to tell me was going to get very philosophical and sappy. Um, Patty is a woman who I'd met about three times prior to that, but she's, she's hilarious in a very unintentional way. Because, like, the first time, I will never forget when I met her, because she just thrust her hand out at me. We're about the same height, but she's, like, 100 pounds and, like, leathery skinned and loves to drink wine out of boxes, and she's awesome. <laughs> and she just thrust her hand out and said, Petty Pratt! And did not say, hello, my name is, just, it was awesome. So, uh, just to give a little backstory, that's Patty Pratt. Uh, so she apologized, told me what she was about to say was going to get philosophical. She said, uh, do you see this joy we're sharing? You and I, this laughter, these jokes. Uh, I said, sure I do, Patty, I, I love it. She said, you have to keep doing this. 
Uh, you have to keep sharing this joy. You go up to Chicago or, or wherever and keep sharing this joy with people because some people don't have this. Uh, give it to them. And I said, uh, something very brief because I didn't really know what else to say, but something to the effect of, uh, you got it. Um, no one had ever really put something like that to me before. Uh, but I realized that I, I did want to share my joy. I, I did want to br bring that relief to people that I had that day when none of us knew what we were doing with our lives. Uh, you know, sure, there were some people going to graduate school. Sure, there were some people moving back in with their parents. But none of us really knew at that point what the next step was. Uh, so for a couple months, I lived at home with my parents until I moved to Chicago, uh, home being Lancaster, South Carolina, a thriving metropolis, I assure you. <laughs> uh, over those last couple, uh, over those months, there were a lot of tears and a lot of struggles of being separated from my friends who I'd gotten so used to seeing every day, and a lot of struggle with like I said, what my life was going to be in this next step. I was moving to Chicago essentially alone. I knew one other person who at, my, at the time was going to be my roommate and still lives in the city. Um, but I had to find some way to cope. And uh, I did so relatively effectively by indulging myself with television situational comedies. <laughs> Until then, I had never realized the importance of things like that. I, I had enjoyed watching all of the things we know and love, but it had just been popcorn, it had just been entertainment, but I had never thought about it until Patty put this to me, that other people were professionally sharing their joy with me. So it may be much more mainstream than many of the world's nerds throw themselves into, but the Dunphys were my hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> Patty's pub was my cantina. <laughs> Pawnee was my Narnia. And of course, Liz Lemon was my Leia. <laughs> it seems really simple and silly to say something so general, but that's really, that's really what I want, uh, you know, maybe not through a television show, and hopefully I'm working towards that in the things that I uh, find myself getting into in the beautiful, wonderful city of Chicago. But somehow, I just want to continue to share my joy. Thank you all for sharing and joy. Uh, I don't know. This is my favorite day of the month. I hope you guys enjoy. Um, okay, Kyle Telly, have you decided? Do you want to? Yeah. yeah. All right, Kyle Telly. So uh, I just moved to the city a little more than a month ago. Um, and so I, I kind of want to touch on a part of fan fiction that's not really been talked about. I mean, it was a little bit touched on, but slash fiction. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, this this is a, a story. Um, I, it's kind of written weird. Uh, it, it's about me and Gambit. Um, and uh, so I, I refer to myself as Kyle in the story. So bear with me. Um, <laughs> Kyle is pushy, relentless, determined, with, one ki- with, a one, with the kind of one-track mind Remy is used to associating with psychopaths and killers and gamblers that lose their money on wishful thinking and an all-in all poker play. This is something different about... There was something different about this one, though, and he can't quite put his finger on it. <laughs> yeah, he'll put his finger on it. <laughs> um, They've taken over the hotel room, and Remy isn't really sure uh, of the legality of the situation, which only gives him a sort of grudging respect for Kyle. But he isn't about to object on moral grounds or anything. Kyle, Kyle just wants to tear apart the world, rip it apart with his fucking animantium claws. <laughs> In this story, I have animantium claws. Um, uh, <laughs> and it's all Remy can do to talk him into actually planning his attack on the island. Or even not showing up at 2 p.m. really to tear shit up. Once you get me there, Kyle says, <laughs> looking down at the map hastily. Uh, and, oh wait, this is... <laughs> and how, may I ask, do you expect me to do that? He, he, he tips his hat. <laughs> he tips his hat uh, at draws and slow and draws at it slow and easy. The interruption is purely to infuriate Kyle. It has nothing to do with the real flaw in his plan. Transportation is easy. Remy has his plane. Uh, but the sudden shock, uh, shocked look on the other man's face is worth it. Kyle looks him up, eyes flashing, dark, furious, with dangerous expression on his face. <laughs> It isn't difficult to see the way his pupils dilate, the way his muscles tense, arms stiffen in a sudden pressure, the skin on his knuckles moves nat- unnaturally, something Remy is already learning to anticipate. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't the kind of man who knows how to take a joke, are ya? <laughs> Remy asks. Leaning closer, Kyle's nostrils flare angrily, but he doesn't respond. Don't worry, Remy says. I don't know why he's Jamaican. Um, <laughs> smiling. I get you to the island. <laughs> now, is there anything else you be needing, Mr. Kyle, sir? <laughs> uh, he tilts his hat away from his eyes, looking at Kyle in the way that he knows deep in his gut is likely to get him punched in the face. It has worked just that way on several occasions. It doesn't really matter much, though. Something in Remy's set is, ring, uh, is riling Kyle until he explodes, and he really can't resist the smirk playing across his lips. Kyle glowers, with him. <laughs> Kyle glowers at him, eyes still dark with anger. Remy shivers. You don't have anything else I need. Kyle says dismissively. It isn't going to be uh, any fun if Kyle doesn't want to play, Remy knows. Or at least he has a suspicion that he might win a fight if it came down to it. 
the wonderful, exhilarating thing, though, was that it, it, isn't sure, it isn't a sure thing at all. Far from it. Kyle has kicked all but... Kyle has but all kicked his sorry ass back in the alleyway, and if he isn't itching for another fight, Remy sure, sure as hell is. He wants it. Oh, he wants it. <laughs> his adrenaline is pumping. pumping. Kyle's, anger is, Kyle's anger and rage is on his face. He wants to know if it was luck or if Kyle had beaten him fair and square. Is there anything else you want then, Cher? Remy asks, <laughs> leaning back. <laughs> the look Kyle gives him is one Remy gets a lot, actually. Usually across the poker table before he takes someone's money. It is, a look that guards, look, it is the look that the guards back on the island have given him sometimes when he's done something particularly spectacular. It's one he still gets often from women and more often than men. But. And it's a look that means I want to fuck your brains out. And sometimes it also means I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Kyle says nothing, though. He looks at him intense and dark and brooding. Brooding enough that Remy can't dismiss it, can't forget it. And then, without responding, Kyle just looks down back up at the map and says, how long will it take you to get me there? The rest of the conversation... <laughs> the rest of the conversation almost is surreal, almost. Remy answering automatically, wondering to himself if he's actually been considering it. Kyle is, well, aside from the part where he's male, that would be hard to miss. And the part where he is a complete and utter ass. Well, I ain't mean to explain. I don't like... Remy tries to explain, but Kyle interrupts. He shoves him hard against the wall. Remy tries very hard, but fails to suppress the shiver of excitement that runs through him. You'll like it with me, Kyle says. Dead serious. And fuck if he isn't right. There's almost no prep, just Kyle shoving him down on the table, two fingers slick back with what might be sunscreen slipping into him. Thick. And a little rough. Remy's not really ready for it. But the overwhelming sensation and Kyle's hands broad down his back, pinning him down. He breathes a bit tries to relax and Kyle's thumb strokes his base of his neck in the way that most is, is almost tender and affectionate but isn't because it's Kyle thank you Coming true. Uh, we're gonna do uh, one or two more stories, and we're gonna pick it out in the Shelby Mangan. Everybody. Y'all don't know how much this day warms my heart. I love fan fiction. <laughs> one day when I was a little kid, I was having trouble sleeping uh, because when you're a neurotic overachiever from a very young age, you're Mine tends to be running pretty fast. And my mom gave me the advice that to sort of distract myself, I should put myself into my favorite movies or shows or books and have a little time away. She used to do it when she was a kid. Um, and that started my love. I have been writing fan fiction 
in many forms um, since I was in eighth grade, actively writing fan fiction nonetheless, too, not just daydreaming, but uh, going out of my way to put it out there in the world. Um, some of you know this. I am one of the pioneers of the Grey's Anatomy fan fiction category on fanfiction.net. It's fine. <laughs> Um, and to this day, I love fan fiction. There is a thread I have on Facebook. It's a Facebook message with myself. Um, and there are at least 10 fan fiction uh, URLs right there saved of my favorite character from Supernatural, who was unfortunately only on four episodes, so I'm living vicariously through these stories. Um, I love fan fiction a lot. And there's been some really cool talk here tonight about uh, different stories that we've written, scripts and stuff. But what really captured my heart was something a little different. Um, and that was message board based role playing. <laughs> this was a major portion of my life for years. Um, I have an eight and a half year old Neopets account. Um, if it was a child, if it was a child, I would hate it because I hate eight year old children. But I've had that for a really long time. I've been on there, and that's not even my first account. That was just the one that I used the most and had for the longest. Um, and I, I engaged in a lot of role plays on the boards there. I was uh, one of the executive members of a guild for Pirates of the Caribbean role plays. Uh, I, God, I wish I could remember. I've looked extensively. Uh, I did a lot of one-on-one -on -one role plays. I had a period where I really liked doing, this is really embarrassing, role plays of The Village, the horrible M. Night Shyamalan movie. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly it was Joaquin Phoenix. But there was this weird subset of us on Neopets that really liked it, I don't know. Um, so I was role-playing on the boards. I was doing one-on-one -on -one ones over messaging. I was on an individual board. It was separate and independent of a school for the gifted. Um, and I had like three characters, including like twins that could control water and whatever. Um, and I loved these sites. I spent so much time on them. I would role-play until the last minute that I had to go eat dinner. And then I'd BRB guys, my character is taking a nap. And then run back and eat dinner and then come back to these stories. And tens of pages, which doesn't sound like much, but on Neopets is a long thread, of living these lives. Um, I loved extending shows or movies that I loved. I was obsessed with Rent, and I played a lot of Rent uh. role-playing. Um, oh, <laughs> I was that guy, it's fine. Um, Okay, so, yeah, so I spent so much time on this stuff, and I've been thinking recently about, you know, I, I wrote a lot of fan fiction. Um, I wrote weird fan fiction. I wrote for, like, the show Numbers for some reason. Um, fun, true. No, yeah. Oh, yes, okay. I was like, there's no elves. It was a drama about a math man solving murders. Um, and I also... <laughs> Um, I also wrote fan fiction about the movie Miracle, which was based on a real story, so I don't... I, I invented history. I invented history. Wait, like the hockey? Yes. 
weird taste. But my bread and butter was these online role plays, these back and forth on message boards. And I was thinking because of this stories, um, because of this event, about what it is I loved about them. And I loved my movies that I watched. I loved my shows. Because I got to watch. I got to watch these genius things that other people created and consume them and love them. And I loved reading fan fictions for similar reasons. They took stories and characters that I loved and they kept them going. They were satisfying. But being on the boards was a part, being a part of something alive. And when I wrote something, I didn't know what the other person was going to write back. Sometimes it was poorly written, but something came back. And there was an interaction, and there was a back and, a fo and, back and forth, and it was a, like really being in those stories. And that's really ultimately all we want, right? Like, watching these movies is fine, but like as nerds, we want to be there. Like, we want the lightsaber in our hand. Like, we don't want to just watch other people do it. And I loved that, and I'm so thankful for that time. It honed my skills as an improver, honestly, because you had to deal with whatever these 13-year-olds were throwing out at you. It gave me something as a neurotic, introverted kid. It gave me something to do, something that was constructive and social, even if I didn't have to go out because people were scary and exhausting. But most of all, and I'm happy that Sawyer went right before me, um, because it kept my imagination going in a way that when you're 13, you don't really get to use. Um, your imagination is squished by standardized tests and by social groups and by dynamics and learning social norms. But I didn't have to succumb to that because I knew when I went home, I could sign on to Neopets and I could dip away into my fantasy world and really see what it was like for Joaquin Phoenix to be in a village that looked like it was old-timey, but was in real time. <laughs> Thank you very much, Shelby. All right, guys, we've been playing Zeppelin all night. There's honestly, there's only one song we can end with, right? Yeah.
fluffy tail. <laughs> and the beast was done. He asked us, Be you angels? And we said nay. And the peculiar thing is this, my friends, the song that we played on that fateful night, it didn't actually sound anything like this song. This is just a tribute. Gotta believe in it, and I wish you were there. It's just a matter of opinion. has been produced in association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com slash nerdalogs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>